Hi, I'm Deborah Holchip, editor of Michigan Today. In this episode of Listen in Michigan, my guest is Rob Ernst. He is a first-generation college graduate and one of 12 children who at six foot six prioritized academics over athletics as a U of M undergrad. So when people ask him if he played basketball, which they do pretty much all the time, he tells them he was, quote, varsity library, unquote. The physician also holds an MD from Michigan Medical School. He is our university's chief health officer and associate vice president for health and wellness in student life. Talk about a challenging gig in the year 2023. It's only been three years since COVID-19 began ravaging the globe, shutting down our societies and killing millions. Environmental disasters dominate our daily headlines, basically promising Armageddon just in time for spring commencement. And then this month, our campus grieved the loss of three MSU students after a horrific shooting on their campus. There, but for the grace of God, go we, has been the general feeling around Ann Arbor. Tending to the community's collective mental health is no small task, even without this unthinkable tragedy at MSU. Fortunately for us, Michigan grad Rob Ernst has skin in this game. He's never worked anywhere other than U of M, not counting his childhood paper route. He's been an internist with Michigan Medicine, a faculty member at the medical school, a campus administrator. He's also a Michigan parent whose daughter's set to graduate in spring 2023. Most recently, Rob succeeded in getting U of M to adopt the International Okanagan Charter, a detailed framework for administrators in higher education to embed health and wellness into all policies, practices, work plans, decision-making, etc. The charter grew from a 2015 meeting of university officials on the Okanagan campus of the University of British Columbia. The idea is that everything is interconnected and that one cannot excel in teaching, learning, and research without supporting the well-being of one's people and places. The Okanagan Charter transforms theory into practice and aspiration into reality. That's what Rob is going for. He and I had this conversation before the February 13 shooting at MSU. Even so, we discussed multiple stressors students face today, some obvious, some subtle, some individual, some universal. And using the Okanagan Charter as its guide, the university can help identify and alleviate such stressors to improve the experience. As we pick up the pieces from the senseless violence in East Lansing and return to some kind of routine, we can at least be confident that someone like Rob Ernst is on our side here at U of M. Here's Rob. You know, for years before the pandemic, we had been working to try and address the imperative of student mental health. And the strategy had been to add more resources. And adding more resources seems like an important consideration. As research finds, a huge number of undergrads are suffering from mental distress. Institutional leaders were starting to articulate frustration with the fact that we're adding resources and we keep hearing that the problem's getting worse. 50 to 60% of college kids have a psychiatric disorder. The contemporary notion of health promotion is to acknowledge that a holistic view of well-being acknowledges an interconnectedness of people, places, and the entire planet. Mm -hmm. And the approach to improving our overall well-being 
involves addressing some of the individual stressors. It involves some strategies to manage our stress. Even if we're doing that really well, but the climate is one that is uh, associated with microaggressions mm-hmm. against a certain group. If you're part of that group, you're going to struggle. So we institutionally have to think about that association of not just what we're doing, but in what context this initiative is taking place. Be enlarged and enriched by everything, for you are the sons and daughters of Michigan, and you have everything it takes to be the hope of the world. In my career, I was a supervisor for the clinical faculty at Michigan Medicine in primary care, and much was made of how to organize systems of practice to try and make sure that the physicians working in that practice had some professional satisfaction and how do we address the imperative of physician burnout. And the general consensus is that you can't fully address that issue through individual initiatives. So you can't yoga your way out of physician burnout. To really move the needle, you have to think on a systems-based approaches and try to identify and address some of the upstream effects. So the Okanagan Charter is the framework to embed health and well-being into all aspects of your policies and your procedural structures so that if you intentionally aspire to be a health-promoting university, you might think of systems and policies differently. We are learning more about last night's shootings on MSU's campus that left three students dead, five others are critically wounded, and we have learned... It really does resonate with people to think about upstream, Mm -hmm. you know, causes of stress. And identifying some of those less obvious stressors Mm -hmm. is really important work. I I think about it like uh, health insurance. Health insurance is regarded by many as having it there in case you need it. Mm -hmm. But really for many, if you don't have it, it's a huge stressor. So we actively work with students to connect them with insurance if they don't have it. So these are the less obvious upstream causes of anxiety beyond the, you know, academic stressors or relationship stressors and things like that. Right. 2022, another year of climate and weather chaos around the world. Whether it's the presence of institutionalized racism or just the anxiety that many of us, many young people feel about the impact of global warming on the planet Mm -hmm. itself. I mean, that's just an overwhelming feeling that many are experiencing. So we must attend to that. We can't center our own individual well-being if the community around us is struggling. If we don't focus on equity and inclusion, We're not going to move the needle on well-being and mental health. You're all familiar with our slogan, leaders and best. And I actually own the fact that I don't love that. And maybe it's because I identify as a first-generation college kid. It's almost too much pressure. If I'm not the best, is that good enough? one that I prefer slogan, which is it's great to be a Michigan Wolverine. Mm-hmm. And you can just see how that is a more inclusive and connecting kind of way mm-hmm. to bring people together. I think the, the sense of belonging is critical 
to the environment if we're going to expect that uh, people experience a sense of thriving mm -hmm. in the community. Universities and colleges in the United States have comparatively been behind the curve on this one. And up until recently, none of the universities and colleges in the United States had adopted this charter. While it has had a really strong presence in Canada and Europe, just within the last two or three years, there's been the formation of a coalition of United States health-promoting universities. And the University of Michigan is one of the early adopters of the Okanagan Charter in the United States. It's something we're really proud of, and it's gaining momentum. How does it kind of guide you in your work here? I've, I mean, I've met a lot of people who disagree with a lot that I say. <laughs> I should say that. <laughs> But I've never met anybody who would disagree and say, don't sign, ah, no, put me down as a no on the, you know, health-promoting <laughs> campus uh, consideration. <laughs> Our campus has uh, put some resources into developing a framework and a structure, and we've adopted the, um, the notion of a well-being collective to think holistically about the health and well-being of our community, students, faculty, and staff, and organized around a backbone structure and a steering committee with work groups addressing some really high-level operational policy-level considerations. A couple of examples, like you know, during the pandemic, the academic affairs folks here recognize that it's going to be really challenging for students. So they uh, created some changes to the, the deadline from when you can drop classes oh, okay. or pass-fail grades or a, a number of other policies around grading or structures to try and relieve some of the anxiety of students understanding that it was a really difficult time and stressful time. What we're doing now is bringing a group of academic affairs leaders together with uh, others from across campus and thinking through whether or not it makes sense to keep some of these policies because it's still stressful for mm -hmm. students. It, it may help relieve some of the uh, academic pressure or stress that students have. So that's a great example yeah. of having a, a structure where it makes sense to have these conversations. It's embedded within the steering committee that has a work group that seats at the table people in a position to consider our academic policies in service to the stress on students. COVID-19, the disease that defined our lives in 2020. You know, when it started, you know, I was very much uh, on the front lines as a practitioner and in student life overseeing our health and wellness clinical resources. So uh, had had some awareness of what might happen and there's been some structure around emergency preparedness. You know, a lot of us remember the original SARS outbreak in 2003. That's when some campus leaders first got together and realized that something terrible happening on one side of the world could come here as a, a vibrant, internationally mobile kind of uh, campus. So we had to be prepared. We had a, a framework to, to think that through, but many people thought about that as just you know, drills and tabletops and exercises. So when it became real, I think it became a different kind of challenge. And from a medical standpoint, we got operational really fast. We're used to being in situations of uncertainty and 
what we do as medical providers is oftentimes take information that we have, the best information available, recognize that it's maybe incomplete, and we have a conversation about a strategy and a plan, and we decide to try something. Yeah, That oftentimes works between the healthcare provider, a patient, and their family. When you scale that up <laughs> to a giant community, it becomes uh, much more challenging. Yeah. And I think probably a, a miss on my part was underestimating the anxiety associated with making difficult decisions in the face of incomplete information. Your own anxiety? No, the community's anxiety, okay. right? You know, because uh, we didn't have all the information necessary to decide what to do next. There were no right answers or wrong answers. This was a novel virus that was mutating and changing and we were learning on the fly. And now to the growing number of hoaxes popping up online from false claims about treatments to fake headlines yeah. about celebrities. And I'm sure the, the most aggravating aspect of it was people acting like they knew more than they did as general lay people. <laughs> It's like, are you an epidemiologist? How do you know? You know, one of the things that I observe in human nature is the way we feel about something is driven entirely by the way we think about it. And particularly in settings of adversity, we tend to get stuck on a single thought. I'm not a therapist, but my understanding of cognitive behavioral therapy is to challenge people to think about adversity just differently. Mm -hmm. And if you can just think about it differently, you can feel differently about it. But it's completely human and natural to anchor and ruminate about a single thought in a stressful or yeah. challenging time. Throughout the course of the pandemic, there's been a wide range of the way people think about the same situation. Yeah. And then there have been people anchored to those thoughts. Governor Whitmer has been the target of protests since last spring over restrictions aimed to stop the spread of COVID amid one of the early outbreaks. Michigan, of course, a hot spot at the time. Trying Today, to Governor Whitmer be transparent and open and communicate, understanding that the audience was anchored in a, in a wide range. That's tough, you know, and when you receive information from an institution, you are prone to raise an eyebrow and wonder if they're telling you the truth. Everyone sees it through their own lens of, no, I don't want to go to the classroom. Yes, I do want to go to the classroom. No, I want this to be open. I want it to be closed. I think that was another thing I, I wish we had maybe done a little bit better was to just reiterate what our shared common understanding about what success would look like. I've been at the university for 35 years, you know, and I really have a deep appreciation for how important the work we do is. I was a medical student, practicing healthcare provider, a faculty member of the medical school, administrative person. I'm a parent of a couple of Michigan students. So I, You've I, got it all, I really, picture. I, I really strongly believe that what we do here as an institution is important. And I very much believed that getting back to doing that important work couldn't have been more important during the yeah. time of the pandemic, whether it's opening the labs, which we were able to successfully mm -hmm. do, or get students back in the classroom, or keep doing the important service that we do to the community, was just really the most important thing, was yeah. that continuity of our core operations. And we lost track of that 
in different conversations about other kinds of outcomes, whether it was, are we testing enough? How many cases or is it severity of case or the number of cases? So there wasn't a shared understanding of what the outcomes should be to move forward. It's really challenging. And I think we could have been better to get buy-in on that. Yeah. I'm curious, like what you learned about yourself in in navigating all this stuff. It's hard to to just to maintain your confidence that you're doing the right thing, that you don't get angry with people who don't agree with what you're doing. Like, I don't know how you maintained diplomacy and navigating such a challenging job and, and believing in yourself. It's not an accident that as I reflect back over the last few years that I ended up being an internist. My joy comes from knowing a lot about a lot because it's not the emergency room and it's Mm -hmm. not the operating room. It allows me to sort of slow down my thinking. I've reflected a lot about how people sometimes just can be reactive in a survival Mm -hmm. mode Mm -hmm. and just really quickly attach to something or react very quickly and just act like that's truth or right. Over the years, and I think because of my training and my experience, I've been able to just slow down my thinking, be curious, value more information that comes through, and just try to be thoughtful in a, a, I don't want to say this in a bad way, like it's slow, but uh, it's at least not reactive. It's thoughtful. Yeah. It feels like it's thorough based upon the information that I have and feel then at least comfortable making decisions in that context. You think about it, the coronavirus crisis is changing so fast uh, that these maps can't keep up. I believe that the silver lining of the pandemic has been the establishment of relationships across the university that weren't necessarily as strong as they uh, had been before the pandemic. We've created a, a well-being umich.edu site that's interactive and it's a destination place where people can from across the campus share what they're doing. One of the things, get back to your question, that we're going to wrestle with is some shared metrics. What would we think would be meaningful outcomes if we were actually making some progress to being a health promoting university? Boy, that's tough, right? But some of the things that we're trying to come up with would be ways to measure resiliency. Mm-hmm. You know, how do we bounce back when we do hit adversity? Are we prioritizing health and well-being as an outcome for our students? You know, how would we do that? Or do students do that? Do they think about their own personal well-being the same way they think about their GPA or their internship? The Michigan students we attract are an impressive group of young people, and I think they come here with a high expectation for a Michigan experience. It's actually, I think, one of the really rewarding sort of feelings about the last couple Mm -hmm. of semesters that are starting to feel, I I wouldn't say normal or back to normal, but I actually think about it as kind of being able to deliver on the Michigan experience that students come here and want to have, mm-hmm. you know, and that Michigan experience includes instruction for sure. It includes connections to the next step in life, but it also includes, you know, 
relationships with others and finding lifelong friends mm-hmm. or really figuring themselves out. College is a really transformative time for young people. And our success as an institution, I think, is really facilitating that transformation that happens across all of these domains. All these precious lives, all this promise, so much to protect and preserve. Let's hope the Okanagan Charter lives up to its own aspirations. I'm pretty confident Rob and his colleagues will find ways to help Michigan students enjoy the freedom to explore and learn in a thriving and supportive community. And I hope the researchers, medical experts, and policy wonks, and all the rest can move the needle, as Rob likes to say, toward a more stable and supportive society. We owe that to our students, and we owe it to ourselves. Thanks so much for listening. Please take care of yourselves and look out for your people. We'll catch you next month. Until then, as always, go blue.